podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with chess players, personalities, authors, and adult improvers about their lives, their careers, and about chess improvement. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess, although we have more to talk about with today's guest than just adult improvement. Our guest today is a USCF master. He is a chess trainer by profession and actually a certified steps trainer, which we'll talk about. Um, he now lives in Florida. He's also a chess parent. Both of his daughters are, are very strong players. His daughter, Lisa, won the Dutch Women's Championship at the age of 19. And in terms of his qualifications as an adult improver, um, he is in his early 50s and he's seen his rating go from the low 2100s to a recent high of 2270. Now that may not be quite the uh, nominal leap or numerical leap in rating that we've seen from some of our younger guests. But I think in terms of um, when you account for age and when you account for the fact that this gentleman was rated 2100 to begin with, I think that it is a comparable achievement. Um, I can tell you from my own experience, it wouldn't be easy to do. Um, so without further ado, I would like to introduce uh, Hans Schutt. Hans, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ben. And I would like to commend you for your great show and that you have it out every week. There's no other podcast which has a, an episode every week and uh, for so many episodes in a row. And recently I've become a, a Patreon supporter because I realized that my life would be different without the Perpetual Chess Podcast. I would miss it if it's not there. So um, I would like to urge other listeners, if you are in the same spot where I am and, and really enjoy the Perpetual Podcast and become a Patreon supporter. Oh, that's nice of you to say, Han. Yeah, and I do pride myself on getting an episode out every week. I actually shoot for 50 a year. So I finally took a week off a couple of weeks ago. It's been a hectic summer. But overall, I don't I don't anticipate any more weeks off until at least December and maybe even have some more content on the way that I'm brainstorming. So stay tuned for an announcement in that regard, potentially. But anyway, thanks for the kind words. And um, let's get to the chess. So um, we'll get to your adult improvement. We have a lot to talk about, as I've been saying again and again, as we email in preparation for this. Um, but I thought that we could stop with, uh, start with, uh, your most recent sort of, um, uh, the most recent thing that, that got you some notoriety in the chess world, which was at the recent U S <coughs> open in Florida. Uh, you did a presentation about the steps method, um, which I, I already mentioned you're a certified steps trainer. And of course the steps method has come up periodically, uh, with many guests like Alex King and John Hartman um, and many others uh, over time. But why don't we take it big picture and you can just begin by telling us what the STEPS method is. Yes. So the STEPS method is, a, let's say, a, a method to learn to play chess. And it goes from novice to master. So it, it, is a, it has a wide scope. Um, so you start with all the rules. And it is, has been developed by Rob Brunia. Um, he died, unfortunately, in 2005, and Cor van Weigerden. So uh, Rob Brunia uh, supported highly gifted children, so his background was in education. And Cor van Weigerden, who's an international master, um, he has also a background in education. He was in physical education, 
Um, but he was also the uh, former national coach of the women's team. And he uh, trained, for instance, Luke van Bailey and Erwin Lamy. Those are his, uh, his pupils. And so if you look to the whole method, it's really um, based on um, didactic methods. It's rooted in how the development of the child, that's the central part. So um, it takes as, as the basis how, it, how a child learns. It also makes, it really focuses on that you, uh, that you give material to a child at the level of, of the child and that you give feedback on the level of a child. Um, and so you have small building blocks and then you practice that uh, doing exercises. So in total, there are six manuals with fully scripted lessons. And there are 27 workbooks with in total over 14,000 exercises. So one of the things that we hear back from the people in the United States is that they like the fact that there's so many exercises um, that you can easily differentiate between students that you are teaching. And so every manual is fully scripted. Um, and so that helps if you are rolling out, let's say, a program in a school that you, if you have teachers who are not very strong in chess, that they, uh, that they have the fully scripted lessons and they have support on the chess side. On the other hand, if you have, let's say, international masters or grandmasters and they have to teach uh, players, in, let's say, between 1,000 and 1,500, they get support in how to teach. So they get support on the education side. It's the official method from the Royal Dutch Chess Federation, but it's widely used throughout Europe and it's becoming more and more popular uh, in the United States at the moment. Yeah, and I've I'm a big fan of it personally. Um, I haven't I haven't fully crossed over into just teaching strictly the curriculum, but I'm, I'm moving in that direction um, fairly steadily, I would say. Um, and we, we got a few. Well. I, I want to get to a question from a listener in a second, but one question that I saw, you you have a, a blog on chess.com, which we'll be referring to here and there because you've, it's really insightful, and I'll link to it in the show description. I mean, you, you cover uh, your own chess tournaments, you cover chess education, uh, cover some uh, elite-level chess events. So um, I definitely recommend listeners check it out, and I saw that you did a write-up uh, reflecting on your presentation at the U.S. Open, and I saw that in the comments, a few people asked the very pertinent question of, can the STEPS method be used for adults? Yes, yes. So, um, yes, it can be uh, used for adults. Um, that's uh, perfectly possible. So you have the scripted lessons, and as an adult, you can go through them. And then the second part is you have the exercises, and you have the different workbooks, and they can also be used by adults. So it works for adults. But if you look to the steps method, I want to highlight one thing. It's about learning to see and learning to think. That's 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 basically it. And and then you, what you do afterwards, of course, you're going to apply the knowledge in exercises and games, and you get the feedback loop and to see whether you uh, can really apply what you learn. If you want to, if you think about learning to see, so that's when you have a position and you, you say, what's going on here in this position? Huh? So you can, when you're at a low level, you think, look at unprotected pieces, safety of the king, and then later you can expand it to open files and, and outposts and things like that. So that develops over time. So it's first, it's about 
learning to see, and then afterwards it's visualization and it's calculation. If you have a trainer, of course, he will help you with asking you questions. So the whole uh, method is kind of based on the Socratic way of learning, is that the teacher asks the student questions, and through it becomes like a discovery process. So it is suitable for adults, but the only thing what I think is difficult, if you don't have a coach to, to teach you, is this Socratic method and the discovery method that you, um, um, that you, um, yeah, that someone asks you questions about, so what's going on here? What are you seeing? And, and through the questions, you discover how, how you should think about the position and also basically challenges you when it comes to visualization and, and, and calculation. Okay, so it can be used, but ideally with a trainer, but even without a trainer, um, in conjunction with the manual, it's and yes. and as you say, um, it's it's basically designed to take you from a rating of brand new um, beginner player to somewhere in the twenty one hundred to twenty two hundred range. So, and that's how it is stated. But for instance, uh, uh, my daughter, who's like twenty four hundred USCF approximately. Uh, she used it to prepare for the varsity match against uh, Cambridge. Um, and I know a lot of feeder masters and international masters, they use it uh, to prepare for tournaments because the last step uh, is, is also based on, uh, step six is based on self-study. So the, the manual is not meant for a teacher, but it's meant for the student. Uh, so at the highest level, so let's say above 2,000, uh, it's, it's actually uh, uh, set up for self-study. And um, it, it, I think it's, for me, I'm then 20 to 70 approximately. Um, step six is, is, is quite difficult. So uh, they, they state it's uh, for 2100, but I think it goes a bit higher. Yeah. yeah, which is great. And have you had a chance to to fool around with the chess tutor discs as well? They have a few discs that you can use on your computer. Yes. So that has also been a recurring question. That's why is the steps method not online? So there are chess tutor discs. So those are CDs and they are for the first three steps. Um, but if you look what I just explained about learning to see and then learning to think, one of the main issues is, is, is guessing. So when you are using a computer and when you are using a chess tutor, it is um, um, you, you, you do your move and you say, okay, it's wrong or right. And then you just move on to the next exercise. And, and so this moment of um, looking at a position and not guessing, but, but really saying, this is like I am in a tournament situation and I have to find the best move. That is one of the problems with uh, using, uh, using it online. And I have to say, um, and just uh, how I changed my own practice based on this, because first I, I, I was thought like, okay, I think this developer, Cora van Weijer, is it's a bit too strict uh, about it. So I thought, let me create some exercises on Chessable with the people by the books. I have a, a private course on Chessable with some um, steps exercises. And I just noticed this, like when they do it online, they guess. 
Mm-hmm. And then basically, the it's like a golden nugget that you get with the position to analyze. And the golden nugget is gone when you when you guess, you see the answer. And after that, it becomes a memorization exercise. So that's the first part. It's like, like the guessing. And the second part of it is that when you do it online, um, you you do a move and then the computer reacts and there's, there's a counter move. So instead of when you think about calculation and visualization, where sometimes you have to think 10 applies ahead, it becomes like 10 times one ply because every time you see the counter move of your opponent. So um, within the steps method, the, the focus is really on working with the books. The, the, also, the, the teacher takes the books and he sees what the student understood from um, from uh, from his lesson. So it's important for the teacher to understand, did he understand it and can he apply it? So when you think about knowledge transfer, it's first about, um, it's first about uh, the teaching, the knowledge, then it's about understanding, and then it's about application and checking whether he can, and the student can apply it. So the, tu- the chess tutors are there. They are up to step three, as far as I know. But uh, if you look to the, the core philosophy of the steps method, it is recommended that you use the workbooks and the scripted manuals, and you use it as a feedback loop to the student to check whether he can apply the knowledge that you have uh, taught. Okay, that makes sense. And I know that some some online sites uh, have made efforts to bring steps online, and perhaps that's why they've been resistant to keep they may keeping it in its purest form, keeping it in the book format because uh, it, it may be the best way uh, to use it. Um, so we've got. A lot of great questions for you, Han. I want to thank um, all of uh, the Perpetual Chess supporters for sending in some great questions. And I want to jump right into them because we've got a a couple related to steps. And then when we go hardcore on your adult improvement later, we've got some good ones related to that. So the first question relating to steps is from supporter of the podcast, John Carruthers. Um, And John asks three questions uh, related to steps, which are, what are the requirements to be eligible to be a certified steps trainer? What does the certification consist of? Steps, time, tests, etc. Like which steps? In uh, what are the steps of the process? Uh, and is he? Are you open to providing a copy or link of the presentation that you gave at the U.S. Open? Yeah. So let's start with the easy one, which is the third one. Um, so in my blog, I, I wrote that everyone who's interested in a copy uh, just drop me a message on chess.com, and my handle is just Hans Schut. So uh, just my name very simple and if you drop me a message with your email address i will send you the presentation great so i didn't make a youtube presentation um, but you can just have the hard copy and i will send it to you with pleasure so then we come to the certification part um so it's the official method in the netherlands and i i discussed this with the developer of the method uh in the international master core van weigerde what he wants to do on an international basis regarding certification and diplomas and things like that. Um, he said, I leave it to the countries. <laughs> so in the US at the moment, there's no certification process, unfortunately. And <clears throat> I've been thinking about it. I think if you look to the role of the USCF in general, um, I think there's an opportunity there for the USCF. I think one of the 
parts of the mission of the USCF is to provide an infrastructure. And if they would endorse this, this method as the method for the USCF, I think we could set up a train-the-trainer program uh, within the United States. At the moment, I'm only aware that this certification program exists in the Netherlands. So that's a, a steep barrier, and it's based on train-the-trainer. So the developer himself trains trainers, and they they get the authority to train other trainers again. And uh, I, and it's it is uh, a, a program of multiple evenings, and uh, you have an exam at the end. And it's it's twofold. So it's not only about the content, but also about how you how, how you teach. So that's a very important element. Sounds like an exclusive club. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess so. Okay, yes. well, we'll hope to, that it will broaden. I mean, certainly in the aforementioned John Hartman, who um, writes the reviews for Chess Life and now is the digital editor for USCF, he's a big fan of Steps. So maybe he can pull a few strings and uh, eventually we can so. move in that direction. Um, yes. why don't, but why don't, in lieu of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience? I mean, it sounds very sort of cloak and dagger with the, uh, the secret meetings with the developers of Steps. So how long ago did you get your certification? And what, what were the, um, the, the biggest lessons you learned from that process as opposed to just being familiar with the educational material? Yeah, so um, just a little bit, of course, about my own background. I, I um, I'm Dutch, so I'm from the Netherlands, and um, it started actually. I mean, I I had a passion for chess when when I was probably uh, 15 or something like that. I was a field hockey player; that was my f- first passion. Uh, but then, when I started to study, I was studying operations research in Rotterdam. Um, I started to, to teach children, and I was lucky that I was working alongside of uh, Rob Brunia, who was also in Rotterdam. So that was my first contact, and that was uh, like 1985 with the Steps Method. So I was very lucky that I could I could work together with Rob Brunia, and and um, I was let's say working with him at the moment that he was developing this method together with Cor van Wegenen. Then later, I was let's say the first batch in the in the train the trainer program. Um, and so I, I was taught by Cor van Weyerde himself. And um, yeah, I took that very serious. So for instance, one of the things I did is there are all kind of concepts in the in in the steps method, and they are kind of the basis for how you look at positions and things like that. But they are they 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 pop up everywhere throughout the steps so i what i did is for for cora van weyer to make like a a complete summary of all the steps of all the concepts that are uh, um, introduced throughout the steps so that was for me a way to to work with him and uh, and also get very familiar with the steps so these concepts uh, so they are very easy i mean they're not spectacular but it's like for instance when you talk about attacking the king it's like gain access that's the first thing and so open up the king's position, then bring attackers, eliminate defenders. And then the third step is is look for mating patterns and mate. But so when you have a child and you teach them, uh, when they have this riddled in their head, it helps them in, in finding moves. And it's the same with defense. If you have a defense, you can protect, you can move away, you can put something in between, you can have a counterattack. So you have all these, or you can capture it. So you have all these let's say mini concepts and they are the basis for the whole steps method 
And um, but the way I worked at it in the beginning is that uh, that I worked with the developer and um, um, and developed, created a summary of all the concepts, all the in in the, in the complete steps method. So that was that was nice to work together with uh, with them uh, on the steps method in that at the moment in time. Hmm. Okay, and so now that you are a certified steps trainer, um, and y- you teach chess for a living, you you give lessons um, to people. So I'm sure that a lot of your students are are somewhere in the middle of the steps. Like when they come to you, they're not brand new chess players. They you yes. know they're they're rated fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred, you know whatever it may be. So do you still use the steps method for students like that? And how would you how would you know where to start them? Do you start from the beginning just to review or do you just kind of guess their level based on I saw I saw the you you were nice enough to send me the presentation alluding to to John Carruthers um, uh, question. So I saw that you have rough rating guideline for each step. So how would you handle a case like that? Yeah, so I think in general, if with any student, um, and the way I approach it is that I, first I ask them, can you send me your games of the last two months? And I hope that they played like 10 games in the last two months at least. And so I, I go through their games and kind of make an assessment of their strengths. Then in the first lesson, so that's before the first lesson, and then in the first lesson, uh, what I will do is um, I, I will just take them through uh, some tests and see how they react. So I kind of, and, and that, so that's what we use in the first lesson, um, just to assess their strengths and then to, to build a personal development plan based on that. Okay. And then if you look to my general, um, of course, training that I do, it's based on the steps. That's one. Um, and of course, part of the steps is like the games of children are an integral part of it or adults for, for that matter. So you need to play games. Um, so they do their exercises. They send me the answers of the exercises and I correct them. And then what I also do is um, I develop like mini opening repertoires for them uh, because that's not really the focus in the steps method. No, no opening theory. But I want them to get interesting positions to play. So this is not for them to beat their opponent out of the opening, but just to get interesting positions. And there was a question of John Hartman that you sent me. So I can address that one now because I have a specific method for it. Okay, so I'll hop um, in. Do you mind if I read the question? Then, yeah, please go ahead. Okay, so this is from, again, we mentioned John Hartman a couple times. Uh, so he... he um, he was at the presentation, of course. So he says, thanks for the great presentation at the U.S. Open. It reaffirmed my belief that the steps are an excellent improvement vehicle for children and adults alike. In Orlando, you talked about mining Lee Chess data for your opening book projects and opening research. Can you expound on that a bit? How are you using it and what tools do you use to do your mining? Yeah. So um, when you go to Lee Chess, you have an opening explorer and the standard uh, setting for the opening explorer. This is perhaps a bit technical, but I think it's useful for a lot of listeners. The standard setting for the opening explorer is uh, is feeder games, uh, games from feeder players over 2200. But you can also select uh, games that were played on your leeches. So if I make, let's say, a mini opening repertoire for someone who is 1200, yes, then I think probably on leeches, 
it's a bit inflated, so here will be 1350, 1400. So I'm selecting <coughs> the lead chess games, not the, the feeder games, the lead chess games in the range of, let's say, 1200 to 1800. So I'm not going to lead chess games of 2500 players. I'm selecting something uh, which is a stretch for them, but what they will what they will most likely get over the board. And then I create, like, say, mini repertoires. <clears throat> so I look at what's most played in leeches, and then I use the Hyax Openings Book, uh, which is a subscription from Hyax, and it is based on engine games, top grandmaster games, and correspondence games. So I look at what what players at that level are playing. So let's say between 1200 and 1800. I look at what the Hyrax openings book recommends, which is the best of the best. And I create, let's say, 15 openings lines, which cover 80% of what the player will get. And that's for me, like say, the essential opening repertoire. And then what I do in chess base, I look at a few games, model games between strong and weak players, which highlight the specific plan that comes with that opening. So I'm I'm not creating an openings book of 300 lines, or it's not a reference book. No, it's like very practical. It is uh, 15 to 30 opening lines, and it uh, and and many times because it's between players at that level. Um, there are tactics involved, and those tactics make it easier to remember. It becomes like a story. So uh, to come back on John's question, uh, what I do is I use Leeches. I use the games in Leeches, Rapid and Classical, and the rating band based on the strength of my student. Um, and then what I do is I select the best moves based on Hyax, and I select model games between very strong players and weaker players to highlight the specific plans. And I make like, say, an essential uh, opening repertoire, which covers 80%. Um, and that's that's the basis uh, for how I uh, augment uh, the steps method when it comes to opening preparation. Excellent. Yeah, and I saw just yesterday Lee Chess tweeted out that they just published their games from August of 2019, and it's 36 million rated games on Lee Chess. So just just staggering amount of data available these days. It's just just incredible what you can do. And I'll link to uh, I'll link to the things mentioned. I'll link to the Lee Chess uh, database page and the Hierarchs Opening Explorer and all that stuff. Um, I'm sure you guys, if you're trying it out, you might need to feel. John probably won't, but others might need to feel their way through it a little bit. But definitely could be worthwhile. And my last question, Han, related to the steps, I had mentioned to you that I've I've always wondered as I as I as a teacher get deeper into using it, um, how do you incorporate? learning the classics and teaching chess history in conjunction with the steps, because it's something that's not that heavily focused on in the steps curriculum. But at the same time, you don't, you don't want to have students just be ignorant of the rich history and all the stories and all the champions and stuff like that. Yes. Um, so I think, uh, I know that, uh, I mean, a lot of people say they like to study the classics and I think 
it is good for uh, this is like perhaps a bold statement it's good for your chess culture but i question how good it is for your chess development so within the steps method there are many times games referenced but of course the principle of the steps method is is that you teach at the level of the child so if you see like 10 if he's like a thousand player or a 1200 player all the intricacies of going through a game of uh, Kasparov versus uh, Shirov or whoever, um, they will be lost to that player at that moment. So they are, there are, let's say, games uh, between grandmasters and masters in the steps method. They are sometimes used, um, but only when it fits in uh, the targeted learning that you want to do at that moment in time. So I think this is something, yeah, I think it's like, uh, yeah, it's for your own chess culture, but I, I don't see it as very important for when I teach children to learn them the classics. And I, I think it's great if you have a passion for chess and you read my great predecessors. I mean, that's such a great series. I have all the volumes and it's, such a treat, but for chess improvement and especially for young players, uh, it's small building blocks. It's teaching at their level, and uh, I don't include it in my lessons, to be honest. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I think there's a point where it might become more important, a rating point, but it's I, in my opinion, it it would be pretty high up. I mean, I don't know if it's eighteen hundred or twenty two hundred or whatever, but there's there's you know when you're learning to play soccer or football. Um, as it depending on which country you're in, um, or baseball or whatever it may be, it's not important to learn the history of those games. And um, you can certainly learn from examples studying chess, uh, maybe more so than sports. But the broader point of uh, learning, acquiring, as Dan Heisman would say, skills rather than knowledge is should probably be the uh, the primary goal, for, especially for younger players. Yeah. Um, so speaking of improving, let's get to your chess improvement accomplishments. So you mentioned you started playing when you were 15, um, and you had, um, I didn't know until we were preparing for this interview that you had a, a pretty, uh, busy corporate career with, uh, executive level positions. So how much chess were you fitting in during your, your prime working years, Han? Yeah. So I, I, I used to run a company of uh, the size was about 350 million and it was a division of a New York stock exchange listed company. Um, and so uh, my focus was really, I think on, um, coaching my daughters. So it was not on my own chess. So I have to say, I mean, chess was like, a something that all family members, uh, were doing. Um, so my wife plays chess and my two daughters play, play chess. And they, I mean, uh, so Lisa, she, she won several medals also at world championships and European championships. Um, and basically the focus was on, on them, uh, and, and not on my own chess. Um, but I always like to play it. Yes. So that was, um, I, and it, it is, that's of course, is one of the changes for me I, in 2016, I stepped out. And that gave me time to play more chess myself, and also, to, of course, to start uh, teaching chess. So, was it was um, a passion for chess? Like, was that a part of the decision to to step down, or was it um, 
kind of more professionally driven and chess was just a, a logical place to to spend more time um yeah so basically uh, i mean i was responsible for steel services so the maintenance of vessels in in the steel industry um and there was another downturn and basically what happened is that um um the ceo of the overall company they they asked me to to look for another restructuring and i proposed to him he said uh, he uh, he asked me to cut into r and d and technical sales and i said i think it's better to to restructure at the top and that's what we did and so uh, we separated they they basically implemented the plan that i suggested myself and i left the company and then you think okay what am i going to do next and um you're looking for for uh, for purpose and a challenge and and relationships and connections, and uh, I went back to chess. And did you when do how did you end up in Florida? Um, so um, my wife um, uh, she couldn't really stand the the cold weather in the winter in New York, mm-hmm. so she was looking for a vacation home here. And so we bought a vacation home, and then we made our vacation home our permanent home. Uh, uh, yeah, as many uh, <laughs> as, as as many uh, Northerners do. Um, yes. Yeah, I can't can't say I blame you. Um, so, okay, so so that so in 2016 you get back into chess, and since then you've made good progress. Um, we might as well transition to the next question from from supporter of the podcast, uh, David Kofer who says, Ben, I think 170 points in five years is a more realistic expectation for an older person trying to improve. He's saying more realistic than other adult improvers, and I, I agree with that. Um, he, David then says, uh, the younger guests who improve hundreds of points in a year or two is actually discouraging to us older players. Improvement is easier when younger. My question, what training would be most beneficial to an older player who only has five to six hours a week to work? Books, videos, analyzing master games, uh, playing short time control training games, or a combination of the above. If a combination, what priority would you give to each task? I've lost about 400 rating points in the past several years, so what I'm doing is obviously not helping me improve. Um, okay, so what do you think, Han? Yeah, so I um, I looked David up, and he's like in the in the rating range between 1,000 and 1,500, just to position it. And what I would like to ask him is, um, I think, first of all, um, he has to look at his games. And uh, I think that he has to analyze his games and find out why why is he losing? Can he find a trend? So there's, a, there's feedback from his games that would be very useful to, like I said, uh, the way I, I work with every student is to find out what he has to work on. So... Um, I'd like to make him an offer. If he if he would make an analysis of his own games and he would make an assessment of what he thinks is his issue in every game, let's say of the last twenty games, let him let him send them to me, and I will see if I can see any blind spots and whether I agree with his assessment what he has to work on. So I will do the the, the check and. Um, then, then we can d- determine what he has to work on. If you look at what he mentions, books, videos, analyzing master games, playing short time control. Um, so I'm really a believer in deliberate practice and in active learning. So 
I think what I would focus on in general is uh, is is active learning. So really um, um, making sure that you you put a position on the board every day and you do uh, your calculation and you solve it. Um, so it has to be active. So w- when we were discussing, let's say, doing uh, tactics online, many times there's guessing. So I think it's better to do a few exercises and really spend your time on the visualization and calculation. And also just uh, that you don't get rusty, but that you're used to being behind the board. Um, something else I would uh, recommend training every day. So if he has in total five to six hours, let him do 15 uh, of 30 minutes every day um, exercises. And then in the weekend, he can do uh, a little bit more. So do it every day. Work with a coach would be good in general uh, because he can point out what your blind spots are and make a plan for you. Um, and what I in general tell, of course, to my students when they start, are you are you willing to play 50 games a year? Because I think it, playing games is very important to learn. So have to have that feedback loop, like you play a game, you analyze what you did wrong, and you go back again. I think that's very crucial. Um, so active training, deliberate practice, do it every day, work with a coach, analyze your games. Uh, those are, for me, the most important points. Okay. And, and so great advice and obviously an amazing offer you've made on top of that. I'm sure there's a few listeners a little bit jealous of uh, this offer you've made, David, but David should definitely take you up on that. And I, you know, I know that there's frustrated listeners out there. I know that David isn't the only one who, you know, you, you hear about these people making these staggering gains, but meanwhile, you know, chess is a game of peaks and valleys and long plateaus. So it can be frustrating, but definitely a uh, constant self-assessment and trying to figure out uh, uh, how best to utilize your time is a, a never-ending quest. Um, so do you have any, so you mentioned you looked up David's rating, uh, the 1100 to 1500 range. Do you have any specific uh, book or tactic um, recommendations that, that you would give for what he could dive into? Yeah, so probably, I mean, if I, without seeing any of his games, I mean, I would say that he could step into step three of the step method. And also, if you uh, if you just would like to do exercises, um, so the step method has more than one type of book. You have the step three book, the step three plus, step three extra, and they are organized by theme. But you also have the step three mix. And the step three mix is uh, are, let's say, exercises where you don't know what the theme is. So it is... It is actually mixed. So those would be good just to practice, um, I think. And uh, so to step in that level, uh, step three, and and to 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 really work on getting them correct. Um, yes. So that, that would be an easy one. And I think also if you look at the step method, it's amazingly affordable. Um, if you buy 10 books, it's like $7, $7 per book, and you get 500 exercises. Um, so they didn't create it to make big profits, but they created it to uh, to basically give a method to the world uh, to teach chess. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's excellent bang for your buck. 
Um, So let's get to the next two uh, and final two listener questions. And I'm going to read these two together because they're um, they're pretty there's some overlap in them. Uh, So first question is from Michael Allard. Michael says, what do you think makes the difference between a class A player and a master? Do you think it's a gap in theoretical knowledge, openings, end game theory, et cetera, or skill and practical uh, over the board play? Or is there no way to generalize such things since each player is unique? Um, Are there skills that you absolutely must have to, to make becoming a master possible? For instance, is it possible to be a poor endgame player or a poor tactician and still become a master? If there are must-have skills, what do you think they are? Uh, next up is Neil Bruce, who asked for an adult improver trying to get above 2200. How much chess focus time per week is necessary and how should that time be used? So this is a common theme and I've also gotten some general feedback that on these adult improver uh, interviews that uh, we talk a lot about should we should you study this way, should you study that way, but we haven't been talking much about how exactly to manage your time. So if you could talk about that a bit in, in addition to touching on these questions, I think um, it might be helpful for our listeners. Yes. And I, I think one of the things with adult approving is that you have to change your habits. And it is, it is uh, I think for a lot of people, it is as difficult as losing weight. So... There's one thing to know what you have to do. Huh? I mean, you have to basically burn more calories than you take in. But every day you have your temptations. And I think that's the same with chess improvement. So when I start with adults, I, the first time, first thing I ask them, are you willing to play 50 games a year? And because we need uh, we need your games to to basically go from knowledge to application and 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 to learn uh, to see uh, what your improvement is. And so a lot of adult players they they have very busy lives and and basically what they like to do uh, also for their entertainment is they like to play blitz online um, and uh, and they're they're tired at the end of the day. And so so. And so this 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 changing your habit and saying okay I want uh, I re- I really I'm really committed to become a master or to improve I think you should really ask yourself is it really true is it like just like it's nice to be to lose weight but am I really willing to change my habits because it takes a lot of discipline when they say okay I'm willing I'm willing to play over the board I'm willing to get a coach <clears throat> then I think. Um, I think some general things. Do tactics every day, like we, I mentioned before. I think this rhythm of doing every day. Um, <clears throat> when you do visualization and calculation exercises, do them until you find the, the right move, as if it is a, a tournament situation. Um, so I think that's 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 really important. Develop a robust opening repertoire. Um, I already mentioned basically what my approach is. So you have to you have to divide it between what's essential, then what are deeper cuts, and then what's reference. So prioritize in that. But de- develop a robust opening repertoire and understand also um, what the plans are behind the openings. Because I was thinking about if I win against a class A player, many times what I notice is that I have a better understanding of the plan behind the opening and not so much uh, about the moves of the opening. Um, 
And I think there's also the whole, you could say, mental mindset. So I think you have to question yourself when you go into a tournament hall and there's a youth player coming to you and, and he's looking at you and says, okay, you're you're an adult or you're a senior and uh, so that's an easy win. Are you are you ready to put up resistance? Are you are you there to be confident and be fully focused and fully present when you play your game? Um, and I think that's that's the way to improve. So it's playing games, and then just of course the usual things, the tactics, um, the openings, your end games. Um, I can I can mention a few books that I use. Um, for my improvement, if this is the right moment. Let's do it. Yeah. So, okay. So general, of course, it's it's known that I use with the step method. Then when it comes to end games, I, I really like the book 100 End Games You Must Know, which is also available on Chessable. Uh, they just released a workbook. What is really nice about the workbook is that, um, is that, it also helps you in your visualization and calculation skills. So there are players who say, I never get to the end game. I will make sure that my game is finished before the end game. I feel uh, as I think it's useful for your visualization and calculation. And on top of it, um, many times you have to decide whether if you can transition to a certain end game, eh? like if you are a youth player, when I transition to this pawn ending, is it is it winning or is it uh, is it uh, is it a draw? And I, I'm very surprised. I have a, a Swiss student, and uh, he he is uh, ten years old, and he is now winning against eighteen, nineteen hundreds, all end games. And it's because of these transitions that he 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 is better in assist, assessing the transition to an end game than his opponents. So uh, end games, hundred end games, you must know. Calculation. Um, of course, you have the steps method, but a book I really like is Perfect Your Chess from Follow Keaton. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Recommended by Eugene Perlstein, I know, and a couple other guests along the way. It's a lot, a lot of strong yes. players are big fans yes. of it. When you think about what I just mentioned about the difference between Masters and Class A players and how to play the opening, I think a really good book is Chess Structures by Mauricio Flores. Yeah. Uh, because that's, I think, one of the only books that really describes that you have a pawn structure and how do you play around that pawn structure. I think he did such a great job with his explaining it. It's quite a simple uh, and the model games are there. And I think that's a, a really great book. When it comes to openings, I already mentioned, I mean, I'm using Chessbase and the Hyrax uh, subscription, opening subscription the most. Um, if you're looking for books, where I go to um, is Quality Chess and the books of Avruk and Negi. So Negi was also a student of Chichilov. So there's the trainer of uh, Anish Giri at the moment. And in the past, he trained uh, Hui Fan and Rachabov. And uh, Caruana. So those, those those are excellent books. And recently, uh, I've been looking at Sileki. Uh, he's he, I mean, he developed his books for Chessable. So they're not prioritized. He he will give you twelve hundred variations, but it is very solid. And and actually, they are very good books. So those are the 
the books basically that I, uh, I I use for my own improvement, 100 Endgames, You Must Know, The Steps Method, Chess Structures, Perfect Your Chess, and the, and the books uh, for Quality Chess and Selecti for the openings. Um, <clears throat> some other books, are, I, of course, this book of the year for me this year is Game Changer. Mm-hmm. When you talk about uh, chess culture, I think that's a book for a lot of people to read. It's really amazing and also quite accessible for a player of a, a lower level. Um, the best book, I think, for adult improvers, I think, is Chess for Life. If you just think about ideas about how to go about your chess, uh, there's so many good tips. I really like the, the, the interview with uh, Terry Chapman. Um, and so he mentions a number of, of things that also help me, like seek out tournaments that you uh, are comfortable and that you enjoy. Um, training strategies, like using a training body, so to to practice openings, um, um, blunder checking. So when you make a move, visualize it because your consistency goes down when you age. <clears throat> and conserving energy during the tournament. Huh? So eat well, sleep well. Um, but uh, that was also surprising that when my daughter worked with Vladimir Chuchilov. Uh, you would expect that when he, he uh, went with her to the World Championships, you would expect that during um, um, such a tournament, there would still be a lot of preparation and analysis. But I, I, what he focused on as a trainer during tournaments was first is that to get the game that you just played out of your system so it doesn't influence the next game. So you keep it light in analysis, but you have to give it a little bit of attention. So you do some preparation for the for the next day, but it was more um, most important was to conserve energy and to stay positive. Hmm. So so uh, so I think also for parents and for others who are listening and you think about how you give feedback to your child during a tournament, think about how important self confidence is. So whenever you analyze a game, you have to realize that your your child will go into the next game, and his self-confidence will determine a great deal, a great deal of the success. Um, so, how you provide feedback to a child is is very critical, and and during the tournament, also for for parents, realize how important it is that they are well rested and and that they are um, for their next game. And I think uh, those were useful tips from that book, Chess for Life. Yeah, it's it's a great book, and I, I'm hoping someday to. Uh... To try to get Terry Chapman, uh, who you mentioned, and I also really enjoyed the interview with him in that book. Uh, try to get him on as an adult improver. I don't think he's playing as much as he was at the time that Matthew Sadler <laughs> and Natasha Regan published that book. But you never know. I'll still try. Um, yeah. So I had a few other follow-up questions from all of the uh, insight that you just shared, Han. Um, number one, if uh, getting back to the 50 games a year, which I, it does sound like a good guideline to me, and obviously it's a, it's a fairly lofty goal. I mean, if you're playing, that's at least one tournament in a month, depending on the length of the tournament. Um, is there any circumstance under which like online games can be a substitute, or is it just, just not the same, in your opinion? Yeah, it's... Um... I have to say, when I see my students play online, uh, it, it's like, uh, so the, the question is, so the same is like, uh, is Blitz, can Blitz be good for you? Yes, if you analyze, if you stop every, after every game, after every game and, and look at the opening, like uh, Alex King said. So it's true. And the same is with, if you play slow games online, 
if you if you take out a board and you put you play the moves on the board instead of doing them on your screen and uh, and 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 your commitment and your determination is the same then i think yes they can help but i think there's nothing like a real over the over the board play yeah yeah there's so it is a, it is a substitute i agree with you but uh it's it's tough yeah i know it's just it's a constant struggle as you say for working adults i mean it's it's so much easier to set up a, a um you know, even if it's a 30-minute game or a 45-minute game and you're being disciplined, maybe you seek out a sparring partner around your level. Yes. But it's just so hard to replicate the conditions of, like, getting in the car, you know, going and seeing <laughs> the people, like, seeing that you're playing an 8-year-old, um, seeing that 8-year-old across the board from you. And, and like you say, you have to bring your energy. I mean, 8 might be that's on the lower end of the range, but certainly it could be a, an 11 or 12 year old commonly. Um, and you, you've got to bring the energy and bring the focus and show them that, that, that you're not going to roll over and, uh, you know, be resilient. Um, you know, you're, there's the feeling of, I dealt with this, like the last mini comeback I made, I just started to feel guilty towards the end of it for being away from my family. Um, and I don't think any of that really comes in into play. Um, when you're just playing a game on your computer after the kids go to bed or when you get home from work or whatever it may be. So certainly yes. um, I th it's, it is better than nothing, but there's, there's no substitute for trying to get to tournaments, which obviously can be a high hurdle depending on, on your life circumstances. Um, the other follow-up question I had was just getting back to the how to manage one's study time. Um, I thought it might be helpful if, if like using these cases of, of Neil Bruce and Michael Allard, Michael, by the way, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly, um, of people around the 1800 to 2000 level looking to make the, earn the master title, um, if they did have 10 hours a week to study, um, what percentage of time would you spend on each aspect of the game? Yeah, but uh, so... It, it really depends on their games, huh? Yeah. Um, yes. And um, yeah, I, I also mentioned it's 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 very tough to say that's so generic. Um, I still think that um, so you have tactics. That's on the one hand, but then the, the second thing is just uh, learn. Uh, this is practicing thinking, and that's um, so. I, yeah, I, I think playing and then analyzing your game. I mean, it's like everything is there. Huh? So like analyzing your game without an engine and writing down basically what you were thinking and then and then um, and and then trying to improve on it and then checking it with a with a player who is much better. I mean, it's like what does mean with when I say everything is there? I mean, it's like the theory is easy, but it's difficult to do in practice because. Yeah. It requires a lot of discipline. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's of course, gold. When you look at your games and you see what did I see, what did I miss, and then you make a tailored plan to look at what you, what you miss. And then, but I think tactics um, and just analyzing, probably that's half of your time. Eh? And then for the opening, a quarter and the end game and a quarter, something like that. Okay. That's, yeah, obviously it's not going to be an exact guideline, but I just think, as you say, 
I, I think uh, a lot of us feel like, you know, so many aspects of our games need so much attention that, that it's just, it's really hard to even pick. It's really hard to decide. And that that in itself can lead to sort of a paralysis by analysis. So it's good to have a rough guideline and then tweak it based on your one's own, um, one's own strengths and weaknesses. Um, so, uh, Last thing generally on adult improvement, Han, could you just tell us a little bit? So once you uh, retired from your corporate job and reemphasized chess, what, what have you yourself been doing um, in terms of study? How, how have you been able to gain these uh, 170 points uh, in your 50s? Yeah. So, um, of course, I mean, the circumstances became uh, much different for me and in a, in a way easier. So there are a few things I worked on. The first one is my, my own condition. So uh, just like you, I'm also a runner or I like to run. And in Florida, it's quite hot. So normally that's going to the gym, but I do like 25 miles a week. Wow. Very good. And I, I try to also include some intensity. So I, I think it's important to get your heart rate above 80% of your max. Um, so it's not just, so I think, so and then, and, General health, I think, is in, is important. What I did is select tournaments that I enjoy and liked, and uh, so for me that meant uh, that meant that I was playing uh, Bilbao uh, next to, and that was in a the big theater next to uh, Magnus Carlsen and uh, um, Anish Giri and Nakamura. So that was for me an inspiring environment. And later I played in the London Chess Classic when the finals were there for the Grand Chess Tour. I played in Hogeveen when there were matches between Hu Yifan and uh, Nigel Short and Sokolov and Van Forest. Uh, so that's something I enjoy, like uh, combining, combining uh, watching chess and playing myself. Um, so and and also of course it's not not the brutal um, tournament scheme that you have in the states where you play six rounds in a weekend or something, but you play one game a day, and it's a luxury of course, and you can do that. Um, I've been working myself, of course, when I started with my students on on chessable. So I'm a Nidorf and Grunfeld player, and I realized that I don't know opening lines; I only have a feeling for dynamic play. And I, I basically, what I did is um, brush off my openings, and that's necessary if you want to play openings that are that sharp. Um, I think that giving the training to my students helped me in general, um, so that's that's important. And I think I changed my attitude, and that has also improved my chess. Um, uh, I mean, if you read what I wrote about Ireland but uh, and what happened in my game against the Grandmasters. So um, I had a problem of converting and, and, and time pressure and getting quite nervous, but I, I now accept it more as a kind of a reality and I try to avoid it and I think I've become better at it and just try to enjoy um, Try just to enjoy the, the game and the environment um, and I think that was part of uh, part of my improvement. So having a different attitude towards the, the chess. So you, you managed to find a way to not, not live and die with the results as much? Yeah, and it was interesting. So you have um, international master Ali Morta 
Zavi, he gave a reaction um, on my blog about adult, approve, adult improvement, and he said, uh, sit down at the board and enjoy playing the game, take each move as it comes and try to play the best move every move. But above all, enjoy being the artist. Don't spend too much time thinking about just winning. And I think actually that's that's right on with what helped me in my improvement. And 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 that um, I could become very nervous. But it's like uh, you think, okay, I'm going to play this tournament, and that will be a pleasure. And uh, you just sit down. And when you're there, you try to be completely there. And I'm determined. It's not that I I, I don't care. Um, I'm determined and uh, resilient, but still, uh, you also enjoy the journey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, speaking <clears throat> a little bit, following up a little bit on uh, conserving energy, um, I saw some in one of your blog posts, and you just alluded to it, you mentioned that at some point you made a decision where you felt like you, you don't have to play every round. Um, and here in the States, for those of us who can't go to the London Chess Classic and, of course, the U.S. Open where you play one game a day or so, um, something like the Philadelphia International, those only come along every so often. But um, I do think it's important for older players to not feel a pressure to just play every game and just plan, yes. plan out your uh, plan out your schedule, pick your buy rounds and just live with it. You know, maybe you'll... Yes. Yes. Maybe you'll have a buy in a must-win game, but maybe the buy will help you. Um, and it's yeah, more important. You had, you had, you had one uh, adult improver, and I think he was like seventy when when he reached uh, the master level. Yeah, and Fred Wilson. Always, Fred Wilson, huh? yes, and he always took a buy on Sunday morning. Well, I think that's an excellent example. I mean, if you if you say you know I, I want to gain rating points, and uh, for me sitting behind the board eight hours, I, I see that my second game is really worse. Take a buy uh, on the Sunday morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, it's just the cost of doing business, and <laughs> you can play better if you're traveling somewhere. You can you can enjoy the sights a little bit. I think it's um, maybe even exercise. I think it's a, a win-win uh, scenario as 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 one gets older. Um, okay, so. I think that's it for the improvement. Is there anything you, you feel we, we need to add to, to this segment of the interview, Han, before we get to a couple stories and then uh, let, let you um, go enjoy the weather in Florida? <laughs> um, I, I do have a, a, like an idea that might be, I mean, it's not something I'm going to execute myself, but there might be a listener who says, I'm looking for, let's say, a, a small business opportunity. So, you know, if you look to games, and you have databases. At the moment, uh, if you think about who is the strongest player on the planet, um, it's, I mean, a lot of people would say Magnus Carlsen, but of course we have the engines. And one of the things that struck me is that at the moment there are no commercial products with engine games. And that might sound very boring, um, but I think there is a market for a subscription service where you where you basically once a year, like ChessBase does, issue a database with engine games, and you have a subscription every month where you get the latest engine games included. And the same, I mean, there's a correspondence database, but there's no subscri subscription service. So it's kind of interesting, I thought, like um, when you look at um, commentary that's being given, let's say in the Grand Chess Tour uh, or, or wherever, they always look at Grandmaster games 
And sometimes they say, well, this has been played before between two, two engines, but it's you cannot find it. So I thought if, if someone would say, I'm, I, I'm looking for an opportunity, I think that's, that's a product that doesn't exist yet. Huh, interesting. Uh, probably it would require some uh, facility with computers in order for one to pull that off, but... Yes, and of course you have to. Maybe you have to think about how to how to find what what is a quality chess engine game and what is garbage. So it, you do you do have to do some work. But I think it's it's kind of surprising that that product doesn't exist because they're the strongest players at the moment. Yeah, and this is something a few guests have highlighted. Uh, Christopher Chabri mentioned he's a big fan of studying computer games, and so did uh, I am Casa Corley, who's a uh, currently getting closer and closer to his GM title. Um, so yeah, there's, there's an interest out there, but, but yeah. And, and of course, game changer, the aforementioned Matthew Sadler and Natasha Regan book was a huge step in the right direction. And um, in terms of uh, analyzing the games of alpha zero, and a lot of people are saying that the, the reason, or one of the reasons that Magnus Carlson has been, uh, has managed to ratchet up his game to an even higher level is so far he's been the most effective at sort of incorporating the lessons from Alpha Zero. I'm I don't feel qualified to judge whether or not that's true, but I've I've seen I've seen some people um, uh, venture that opinion. Yeah, that is my opinion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's whatever. There were some haters who didn't agree. Yeah, yes. I mean whatever he's doing is working. That's for sure. I mean uh, slightly. Yes. Not not winning the Sinkfeld Cup, notwithstanding. Um, so, I mean, and actually he did tie for first before the tie break. So, um, okay. So, Han, uh, before we let you go, the, the Spassky story that you shared on your blog, you, ha- you have to share it with our listeners. Yeah. So, this is quite amazing. So, um, in July 2010, so it's, uh, it has been a while ago, um, I was with my family in Crete, in, in Greece, and we were playing there the, the FIDE Open. So in the fourth round, I was paired with White against Daniel Jarur, and he's from Chile. And so he was rated at that time 1778. So I was about 400 points higher rated, and he was 10 years older. So I thought, okay, easy game, easy game. And of course, wrong attitude, but... I also saw him in the hotel that we were staying, and he was there with someone. I was thinking, like, who's this? Who's this? Who's he with? But I couldn't figure it out immediately. Anyway, I, 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 I sat down behind the board. I get my favorite hedgehog, Sicilian. He plays his knight to h6, and I thought, okay, this is an easy game. Then I overlook something in the game, and suddenly he comes back, and I have to fight and and in the end i win the game so i i, I came away with a, a scare um, um then after the game we sit sit down in the streets of uh, uh, the city where we were staying and by coincidence my opponent sits down next to me at the table also to get some food so you have these cobblestone small streets in in, 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 in in Greece. So we sit down to have some food outside. And uh, now I realize that the person who is with him is Boris Pusky. So here you have this player who's 1778 traveling with Boris Pusky. 
and he's going to have dinner next to me with Boris Brosky. And then at that moment, he takes out his travel set. They put it on the table, waiting for their food, and they start analyzing the game that we played. So he sees me and he says, please join the analysis. And, uh, and uh, so we are analyzing the game. So my game together with Boris Pusky. So it was interesting to see a former world champion uh, and to see what he said about the game. And basically his story was um, he looked at the game and it was about um, there was material equality, but my opponent um, went too much for material equality and he should have developed his pieces because his development was behind. All his pieces were cramped and that's the reason why in the end he lost. So they put the pieces away and so I went back to my hotel and then I thought, how is it possible that someone from Chile who is in Greece is traveling together with Boris Pasky as a kind of his trainer or second or however you want to call it. Um, and I, 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 so I started to look up this, this because it was kind of a frail man. And so I was trying to look up so what is what is this background of this player that I played. Turns out he um, he he was a businessman and he studied at the London School of Economics, went to Harvard afterwards, and then he was hired. As, uh, as the chairman of the Security Exchange Commission. So, and he was also on the board of a mining company. So he was like a business executive and he retired apparently, and he was having fun um, traveling to Garris, together with Boris Posky. So I thought, okay, that's a special story, but that's not where it ends. It turns out that he quit he quit a certain moment as the chairman of the Security Exchange Commission, and he started to manage the estate of his cousin, George Yarour. And George Yarour was, was, the, um, was the, the son of the chairman of the International Bank of Chile that was established by his and so his, his father or grandfather. So he had a lot of money, he had personal problems, and he asked Daniel Yarur, my opponent, to take care of his uh, estate. He couldn't do it himself. So he did that for 10 years. So that was between 1999 and 2010. And since 2010, they have been in continuous lawsuits because my opponent... Uh, took 60 million from his cousin and uh, put his on it. Uh, and basically he defrauded him of, of $60 million. Allegedly, we should probably show, say. Well, yeah. Uh, so if you look at, uh, I mean, I've read all the court cases. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, so if you look, for instance, the court case in the United States, he is not... Basically, his only defense is, is that it shouldn't, the, 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 there cannot be a court case in the United States because there are two, two Chilean residents and the, the bare shares that he took, he, he made them into, uh, put them on his name in Panama and not in the States. 
so it shouldn't be trialed in that jurisdiction. So in all the cases that are there, he never says, I didn't take the money. He only says, um, I, you cannot sue me here or uh, his latest. And that was surprising. So I wrote this in 2000 and uh, last year. Um, uh, his latest defense was is that it was the 60 million was his variable compensation fee for taking care of um, the estate of his cousin. And the uh, Supreme Court of uh, Chile uh, rejected that argument. So now uh, the next step is that, of course, the cousin will go after the re recuperation of the 60 million. So I, I, for me, it was just a contrast of being on a on a island in in Greece, playing a game there, and this is my first assessment when you see uh, this this man sitting down behind the board. Then the next step that you sit in the streets uh, and you analyze with the former world champion Boris Vosky, and you analyze your own game, and then when you try to find out the background of this person. You basically find out that there is these ten years of uh, of lawsuits, and there is this uh, fraud scheme of sixty million. Um, and uh, but he is still, I mean, he is still very active in in uh, in the chess world. Um, I mean, he's running. Um, he's on the board of uh, the Judith Polgar Foundation. Um, the um, the FIDE president visited him uh, last month for chess in schools in, in Chile. So he's still very active. And I think it's, of course, yeah, it's like an ethical dilemma. Like if someone is really good for chess, but he has such a background, do you want to deal with him or not? Um, not the first time chess players have wrestled with this question. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, uh, but uh, I thought it was like an amazing story that that can uh, yeah, it's, so you, you just play a, 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 like an anonymous game somewhere in a different country and there's this whole world behind it. Uh, that's an amazing story. I wonder if he's working with anyone else. Of Spassky seems like he's uh, keeping a pretty low profile in his golden years. But um, I yeah, wonder... after that, of course, Spassky got uh, sick and he got his stroke and uh, then he, he went to France and I think he's now in Russia. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. I wonder if anyone else is working with uh, with the the gentleman you mentioned, whose name I will not attempt to pronounce. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, but, yes. but yeah, just an amazing story. Um, yeah, that, that's funny. So, what was it like analyzing the game with uh, with GM Spassky? Yeah, it was interesting. Of course, I mean, he was a bit like uh, dismissive in the sense that he said, uh, um, uh, "You, uh, basically, uh, Daniel was very." Uh, like inviting and like, please join. But um, Boris Pusky was like, you're not part of the party. And oh, it's like, okay. uh, I'm here for him. But I mean, he allowed me and basically he showed me, he, like I said, the focus uh, of, of uh, Spassky was to say, okay, yeah, you look at, you have an, uh, you, you are behind in development, you're going for material compensation. And uh, basically, you uh, what you do is uh, is 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 you you're now so far behind in development that that white is winning. You should have just developed your pieces and then you would have an e equal game. So it was like short and sweet in a way. Okay. Yeah, he um, was he was interested to a certain. So for him, that was a critical point in the in in the game. 
that he discussed. He said, uh, you're too materialistic to my opponent, and uh, if you would have developed, it would have been a, an equal game, and after that, you're just lost, and it should, that is it. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, and one more thing, Han, actually, before we get to your contact information. Um, do you, so you mentioned earlier the importance as a chess parent of uh, being encouraging of your kids, but as someone who uh, both of your daughters um, are quite strong players, um, they're, they're pursuing other interests primarily at this point, but do you have any advice for any uh, chess parents who might be listening uh, aside from, from that? Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, what was also, I mean, if the way we... we uh, approached chess in general is is um, we were quite fearless so and we we wanted them to be fearless in in life and also as girls so donna uh the oldest um she was the first girl to win the youth championships in the netherlands so there were 25 boys and one girl wow awesome and uh, so among the boys there was for instance uh, robin van kampen who is currently a gm and so, so I think for us that was important, and it was also in the way we taught them to play. And um, it was never about the winning; it was always about learning. And um, uh, we 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 let them determine their own ambition. So it's like uh, what they put in, we would we would put in. So. Uh, um, if they want to study more, we will facilitate it. But it was never about learning. So the, uh, I think it was like, okay, when you lose, just get up and learn from it and just move on. And, uh, yeah, I think it, um, I think it helped um, them also um, with their careers. Um, so Lisa is uh, studying in Oxford and doing a second master's, and she trained with Chuchilov and Chuchilov many times would set up a position and he would say, analyze it, and he would come back in a few hours. And wow. then you were not allowed to touch the pieces, not allowed to write down everything. And he would say, okay, tell me what you saw and what the, what, what the variations are. Of course, there's one disadvantage because you will get in time pressure if you do that during a regular game. <laughs> so if you look to Caruana and... And others, I can I can see where it is coming from because you can you have learned that you can think for a really long time about a position, but of course in terms of focus and and learning to concentrate and learning to think, it's it's a lesson for life. Okay. Huh. All right. Well, Han, thank you. This has been an awesome conversation. I think uh, listeners will get a lot out of it, and if um, people would like to correspond with you or potentially have you uh, teach them or ask you questions about steps. As uh, you mentioned, um, the possibility of uh, sharing the presentation. What, what's the best way for people to keep up with you, Han? Yeah, so they can uh, go to my chess.com account and message me. I think that's the easiest. And my chess.com account, like I said, it's just my, my real name. So it's easy to find. I'm also on Chess. Um, so, and I'm, yeah, so those are the two, um, and they can see me on Chessable as an author, but so the easiest way to contact me is uh, on chess.com, I believe, and, and Lee Chess. Okay. Under my, under my own name. Awesome. And do you, I know that 
despite your great gains in your rating, you haven't been playing super often. Do you have any tournaments on your radar, Han? Yeah, so uh, my daughter just finished her studies, and so she, she, uh, we are contemplating um, playing a tournament together. So I'd like to play in Spain either in December or in January. I'd like to play Gibraltar or mm-hmm. Sitkas. Those uh, two tournaments I would really enjoy playing. So that's probably it. Uh, but I have to discuss with my daughter what her schedule is. Um, but those are the two that I'm looking at at the moment. Wow. Can't argue at all with those choices if uh, <laughs> if you're able to pull it off. Um, okay. Well, thanks again, Han. This has been awesome. So, yeah, I'll, I'll link to everything we've talked about in the show description as always. And con- continued success both with uh, your your teaching career and your chess. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Most of all to my producer, Matthew Passy, but also to everyone who helps spread the word about the show. That can be by telling a friend, by writing a positive statement on Twitter or Facebook or whatever your preferred social media outlet is, by writing a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform. All of that stuff helps. But most of all, I want to thank the people who provide financial support to the show. Without you all, the show would not be possible. So here we go. Thanks to my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Partners. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities, Chessable.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Handelman, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, Greg Natel, I am Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jen Screen, John Jernick, and John Cromarty, Kelly Palmer, Lone Pine Chess, the Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Kahn, the Mysterious Moonmaster 9000, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant, Todd Kennedy, and I'd like to give thanks to Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, FM Andre Terakov, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howardland, Brett Zeldo, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Chabri. Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, David Kofer, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, Evan Sagers, I am Alec Donnie Ariel. Fox Valley Chess Club, Frank Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Shu, Harish Srinivasan, James Bonastia, Jason Willem, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, JJ Stranad, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, GM Josh Fidel, newly minted IM Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Namsova, Kelly Palmer, IM Kostya Kovyutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Larry Reiforth, Laura Beljavsky, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Miguel Araspidi, Mr. Michael Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, WGM Tati of Abrahamian, Thomas Stanix, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tomas Kolmanich, 
Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouge, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. I will catch you guys soon. Podcast Network.